0: Welcome to church, it is so good to be with you guys here today, everybody online, everybody at the jail campus, everybody at Wheatfield, and then Hebron, hello, and welcome, grand opening. I actually just peeked at the live feed from Hebron, and they are full, full, full up there, so that's really cool, and uh, we're excited to be coming at you from Wheatfield. We feel this is our time to show our kids that we still got it. We're empty nesters right now. We just sent all the babies up there. We're going to refill this place, and uh, man, I can't wait. It's going to be good, and uh, if you're new with us, welcome. We like to gather together on Sundays, usually for about an hour's time to have some community together, and then for a few specific reasons, uh, number one, statistically, in-person church attendance. And uh, church engagement is among the most healthy of life choices you can make and one of the greatest predictors of -of end-of-life satisfaction. And I think that's really cool. You know, just take that, marinate on that a little bit. Um, Also, we do it because Jesus calls us to. If you're a Christian... Weekly church engagement is something that Jesus actually calls you to do, and that's kind of interesting. And then we do it to discover more of God's truth in our life and because we want to make a positive difference in a hurting world. And I just look at a world that is broken and hurting, and I just keep thinking I love being a part of a diverse community with people of different perspectives who are joined together by the God we love, not the group that we hate. And I think that's pretty special in a hurting world. I come from a pretty cosmopolitan background. My mother um, is an immigrant from Japan, and her family is Buddhist. My father um, is an American but or was raised in America, but his family was mostly atheists. And uh, so I just want you to know, no matter what you believe, no one's perfect, everybody's welcome. And uh, I hope that maybe you're here, you know, because you love Jesus or because you're rediscovering something that used to be a part of your life or because you're exploring God for the very first time. It doesn't matter. This is a great place for you to be. And I still remember discovering in my life that God was real, like there was actually legitimate data to support God being real and uh, that God doesn't ask for blind faith but informed faith. And it changed my life for the better. And I hope that maybe you could discover that same thing in your life. And I typically try to present messages in four-week series. Each message takes about 30 minutes, but they're usually bound together in a four-week package. And uh, I want to challenge you to consider being a part of our church for the next four weeks together. And here's why. I always say, if you want to lose weight, doing some miracle diet and losing you know, 40 pounds in a week is probably bad because, I don't know, like cocaine or whatever it is that you use is not healthy. Um, but I think that if you lose weight over the course of a period of time, You know, it's healthy, right? And uh, I think as far as church goes, um, the best things that come from it come from consistency and faithfulness. And Christians have the highest level of life satisfaction as far as a subgroup of Americans go. Um, Stick stick around, embrace the lifestyle, and learn why that is. And uh, this week, we're starting a brand new teaching series, four weeks long, called What Matters Most. And it's all about learning to choose in your life what really, really matters most. And this week's message is really simple. We're talking about how to choose what matters most and live the life that gets you there. And I think it's going to really bless you. If you struggle with making big choices in your life and having anxiety around the choices you make or maybe regretting every decision that you make as soon as you make it, um, this is going to be really helpful for you, and you're going to want to tune in. Have you ever invested a ton of time and effort into something that ended up being a total waste? Maybe it was a, a relationship, a vacation, a marriage, an investment plan, a career path, something that you didn't or did do with your kids that ended up just being for naught. I think the big question is, how do we see this type of thing before it happens? I remember I was in third grade. My brother was two years older than me, so he was a fifth grader. And he was chosen for the gifted program, which really just means the nerd kid program, right? So anyway, in Minnesota, this is the most 90s title ever. Do you remember when they they had titles that were ridiculous for things? They called it Odyssey of the Mind, right? Let's go on the Odyssey of the Mind. Really? It was just an extracurricular activity given to kids who were super smart. So that year, um, the activity was engineering. And what they had to do was they had to build a tower out of glue and balsa wood that would hold weight and then they would take their tower to compete against other schools which was you know kind of a good idea um, the goal was to give the kids a taste of engineering um, some insight into building structure some critical thinking skills and some teamwork skills and honestly I think it's a great idea. I mean, I loved sports in high school. I was a, a four-sport athlete. I love sports. But I'm like, would you rather, you know, tear your MCL three times and have a limp the rest of your life or have engineering skills? And I'm like, definitely, you know, I mean, that's not a bad idea. Maybe we need to rethink some of this. But anyway, my brother and his team began working. My brother's a pretty persuasive man, much like me. And um, he convinced his team to, to write a play. And I think they thought they were going to like wow the judges with like a tower and a play that was going to make them think, like wow, these kids are really creative, right? So they made a play complete with costumes that looked like the Flintstones, and they were going to write about boys and girls discovering engineering as cavemen, right? So literally, they spent 90% of their months-long prep time working on this play, and they rehearsed, they memorized the lines, they wrote great jokes, and they spent a little time working on their tower, which even to my untrained third-grade eye was, was pretty like terrible. It was a shoddy tower, right? So um, anyway, we show up to watch the play and uh, and, end the competition. And all the other kids were dressed in normal nerd attire. You know what I mean? Like sweatsuits complete with your fifth grade smells of BO mixed with Axe body spray. You know what I mean? And it was like, oh, okay. And uh, my brother and his team were all dressed in costumes. I don't know if you've ever showed up to a costume party where you're the only one wearing a costume, but it's like, okay, something's out of, you know, and I grew up with a family that stuck out, right? We were, my mom was an immigrant, my dad was, you know, my dad, and we just, we didn't fit in, you know what I mean? So it was, it was odd though to show up here and be like, oh, they're the only ones to do this. And uh, their tower, their tower looks so flimsy. I mean, the other towers were masterpieces. Their tower looked like tube socks and flip-flops. You know what I mean? It was like clearly you didn't plan ahead. You didn't think this thing through. You know, like that was their tower. And it turned out the rules stated that you could not talk. You couldn't talk. So they wrote this whole big, long play, and they couldn't talk. All they could do was make guttural noises. You know, as you're lifting weights, you can, like, grunt. So they proceeded to grunt out their whole play. Like, I remember them, uh, 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 you know, and it was like they were saying things, but they weren't saying things, and the officials were, like, scratching their heads, like, can this please be over? You know, this is super awkward. But um, they did it, and fortunately, their tower was terrible. So they put a weight on their tower, and it was, like, grand opening, grand closing. That just, this just went, pow, like, down to the ground right away. They got last place by a mile. And uh, the whole story is just so ridiculous, because they invested a ton of time and effort into something that was ultimately worthless. And it's, it's funny because, you know, they were in fifth grade, but I think as adults, we do different versions of that story in our lives all the time. How often have we done stuff like this? How many times have we put a ton of effort into something that, in retrospect, doesn't matter at all? Oh, I'm going to earn all these trophies and, and awards and tournaments and jackets. And, you know, you take your pictures at sectional like, we're friends for life, we're teammates, these are my boys, these are my girls, right? Ten years later when your parents are downsizing, you take all your trophies from your childhood room and you just sweep them into a garbage bag. And you're like, wow, that mattered. Not at all. You obsess over your friends your senior year. You're like, oh, they're so important and who cares about my parents? Who cares about my siblings? These friends, were friends for life. And you graduate and, of course, you never talk to them again. Or you obsess over a bank balance, 401k, Roth IRA, got to invest, and you save millions only to get to the end of your life realizing, man, I wish I would have spent my time with other people and had a little smaller nest egg. Or you get a psychology major, and it's like, yeah, that was worthless. You know what I mean? Like, why did I? I feel like my brother's little mistake is something that we do over and over and over again in our life. How do we see what matters most? Before instead of after. And I want to spend the rest of this message talking about three steps that allow you to see and live for what matters most in your life. Even if you're not a Christian, I think this is really going to help you. Number one, I want to challenge you to visualize the win of your life. It is amazing to me how little time is spent visualizing the win of your life. Like, I guarantee you, when my kids graduate from high school, I'm going to make them spend days writing out and visualizing what do I want my life to feel like, to look like, to smell like when I'm 85 years old. It, just, it seems so simple. If you're going to some place, you would plan that destination. You know what I mean? You don't just drive. You look at a map. You make a plan. You type in an address so that you can get there. And yet for so many of us, we don't, we don't do that. We don't do that. We just think about next year. What major do I want to do? What college do I want? That's, that's, you can't even make those decisions until you think about what you want the end to look like. I think one of the places I see this most in society is um, with mate selection, with spouse selection. Like, people have no plan for spouse selection at all, and it drives me up the wall. If you know me and you're a young person, you've probably gotten this lecture from me because I do all this marriage counseling and premarital counseling, and people have no plan. It's like, am I attracted to this person, and do they like me back? That's the full extent of it. And it's like, it's pretty easy to be attracted to someone when you're 20 all you need is a pulse you all look good you're 20 years old and attraction is pretty much like he swiped right on me yeah and 500 other people till his finger was bleeding you know what I mean like that's not it's such a visionless thing I mean no one no one would ask good questions like why don't you ask when you're dating like 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 um would you be a good business partner you know what I mean because you are a marriage is a business partnership like that's one of the things that it is on a fundamental level I mean, how many books would you read before you invest millions of dollars into something? Marriage is a multi-million dollar investment, even for the most poor families. You're talking about millions of dollars of lifetime earnings plus compound interest, right? We don't put that much research into it. How many books would you read before you invest your life savings in something? No serious self-evaluation, it's just like, he super liked me on Tinder, and that's flattering, so let's go out. He's six foot 3 we're good. You know, it's like, stop! Think! Think! Could we be good parents together? Do we have similar career goals? What about our faith goals, right? What about conflict resolution strategies? Do they have debt? Like, good questions. It blows my mind how little effort is actually put into a systematic process of mate selection. And think about the vows. Think about the vows that you make on your wedding day. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, and this is the crazy part, until death do us part. That's a big vow! And you just walk into it like, ah, yeah, we like each other. You know, he super liked me. We're good. It's like, stop. Stop. I'll counsel people after they've been married for a short period of time. They'll be like, we have nothing in common. And it's like, did you, but did you talk before you got, did you think about it? Well, we just hung out and it was fun. I think the best question that you can ask is, um, does this person fit into the win of my life at 30, 50, and 80 years of age? Right? You visualize the win because that allows you to see in the moment, is this something that I want? I love what Jesus says in Luke 14, 28. He says, but don't begin. Don't even start until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you, and that's what happens in life. He says, don't begin, don't begin. Don't even start until you count the cost. Another way of saying that is, don't begin until you visualize the win of your life. If you are 18 years old, and you're graduating from high school, Don't choose a college, don't choose a major, don't choose a career, don't do any of that until you have spent days really getting granular about what do you want the win of your life, the long term of your life to look like. It's such a great thing to do with your time when it comes to living the life that matters most. Start by really visualizing what you want the finished product to look like. It's not just kids. When you're 30, when you're 40, when you're 50, and you're looking at the last bit of your life, visualize, what do I want to accomplish in this time? Where do I want to get to? What do I want that to look like? I think this is the number one mistake that people make in life. It's not marrying the wrong person. It's not the wrong career. It's not getting arrested. It's not an addiction. It's a failure to visualize the win of your life. I love doing this, and what I love doing is is looking at the win that I want to get to and ask myself, am I gonna be able to complete this project? Right, based on the choices I'm making now. And if I'm not gonna be able to complete the project, then I want to make some changes to the plans. I wanna make some changes to the way I'm constructing this. Right, And again, it doesn't matter what age you are. If you're 60 years old, you're like, man, I wish I would've heard this when I'm younger. Stop! Do it now! Sit down and say, based on what I have left, instead of saying, well, I can't make those dreams, downsize the project a little bit, and say, this is what I think I can get to, and I'm gonna start living a life that's gonna get me there. This is where my brother's little balsa wood tower failed. They didn't visualize the win. What they did was they said, the rules don't apply to me. I'm going to do whatever I want now. And the problem is, they didn't visualize the humiliating embarrassment, the humiliating embarrassment of showing up and looking ridiculous. I guarantee you, had they done that, they would not have spent all their time writing and play. They would have spent their time doing what mattered most. And in your life, if you visualize the embarrassment, if you visualize the disappointment of making the choices you're making now, I guarantee you it's going to be a lot easier to change the way that you're living. For so many of us, for so many of us, this is the thing that, that bothers me is we just think, well, I'm gonna spend five years delaying my life. You know, we'll hang out at Boundary Waters or Hebron Lanes or Hollies or whatever, and it's gonna be awesome and whatever. Um, but don't begin until you count the cost relationally, emotionally, and spiritually of delaying five years. And this is what I don't like about using the word delay. Delay implies I'm just gonna start later, but I'm still gonna get the whole thing. You don't get the whole thing back. Like that five years is irrecoverable. Irrevocable, it's spent, it's gone, you can't get it back. It's just, it's five less years. So you look at your life and you say, okay, 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 I am going to not do that because I'm visualizing the win of my life. And no matter where you're at, if you're in a place where you're like, oh no, I've wasted 40 years, it's not too late, it's not too late to say, with the time that I have left, I'm going to start making some headway. Spend a moment visualizing the win of your life. What do you want your life to look like, feel like, smell like, taste like when you're 50 and 85 years old? What do you want your bank accounts? to look like? What do you want your relationships to look like? What do you want your character to look like? And I think, perhaps most significantly, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want your kids and grandkids to remember you by? Dad left Mom. You know, Dad was, un- or dad was faithful even when it was hard. Dad forgave even when it was difficult. Doing this brings a high definition, high resolution clarity to all the choices that we make in life. So often people sit and they're like, I don't know what choice to make. I don't know what choice. Listen, listen, listen. We have the ability to actually zoom out and think, what do I want to get to? When you do this, when you visualize the win, all of a sudden it illuminates the right choices in the moment. You're sitting down saying, well, should I be a music performance major or a doctor? Well, visualize your life for a moment. Right? And I'm not saying that you can't be a music performance major, but really think, what is this going to cost me when I'm 80 years old? Like, how is that going to look? And it becomes so much easier to make the choices in the moment when Kristen and I were 20 years old. Our pastor gave us a card that looked just like this. And he challenged us to write out who we wanted to be. He challenged us to write out the win for our life. And on on that card, we actually wrote out decade-by-decade goals for our marriage. This is what we want to accomplish in our 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s. We defined the win, and it has radically blessed our lives. I actually gave all of you a card. It's on your seat. It's attached to your note sheet. And I just thought maybe this would be a healthy, productive thing for all of us to do. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you're 80, if you're 90, still do it. And if you're 18, definitely spend some time. This card might not even be enough, but it's just a start. It's just a beginning to define the win for your life. Kristen and I, we're so blessed by this because we defined the win. We agreed on the win. And honestly, for us, we don't fight that much anymore about our major choices in life. Because we know what we're doing now. And we know where we want to get to. and We can instantly both see whether or not this is a part of the future life we want to get to. She's okay with breaking down in her car because she knows because we're doing this now, we can have something that we want more later. The second step, the second step. First step, visualize the win. Second step, find your calling. Find your calling. And this is where everybody is like, ah, my calling? I don't know what to do, right? Because we tell kids all the time. We tell kids all the time. If, if you find what you love, then you'll never have to work again for the rest of your life because life just be a dream. And I just think that's so silly. I think that's silly. I don't think the calling is the win. I think the calling is merely a vehicle that carries us to the win that we ultimately want to get to. And uh, I really think we've done millennials a disservice by saying, you know, you have to pick this dream job and you really have to have a job that blah, 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 blah. Listen, your job makes a difference because it carries you to the end of life that you want to get to. And um, listen, some of you might have like a calling that the vehicle doesn't feel very good. Maybe it's like a 2003 Chevy Suburban with 235,000 miles or whatever. But eventually that vehicle, that calling is going to bring you to the life you want to get to one way or the other. And I think a lot of times switching vehicles in life, switching careers in life is far more costly than we think it is. Or perhaps even worse, sitting in the vehicle of your calling, envying somebody else's vehicle. Like that also isn't that great. I just want to challenge you to remember a calling isn't the win in and of itself. It's a vehicle that carries you to the destination you want to get to. For me, um, I've always desired at the end of my life to see people far from God filled with life in Christ. That's what I want to do with my life. And preaching and teaching, I don't think like that's something that I particularly like. I don't love doing this. It's not my favorite thing. My favorite thing is seeing this vehicle carry me to the destination I want to get to in this life. It's really helpful. I've always valued wisdom and truth. Those are two things that are important to me. It's part of why I love Christianity so much, because it's super wise and super true. I mean, it's wise in that it consistently has led humanity to the highest levels of life satisfaction, the highest levels of prosperity, and it's lowered human suffering immensely. And you can look back sociologically, historically, the Christian is uh, Christianity is the greatest movement ever to strike the human endeavor, and I love that. I love the wisdom within it. I also love it because it's true. There's a mountain of historical, sociological, archeological, and scientific evidence that vindicates what's happened in scripture. It tells us that the events recorded in the Bible actually happened. So my calling is to preach and teach. It's not because I love preaching and teaching. It's because it's a vehicle that carries me to the destination I want to get to. Some others of you have similar callings. I want you to understand you don't all have to preach and teach. Maybe you're gifted at running a business. Maybe you're gifted at building things. You can bring the gospel of God's love to those arenas, and you can use those arenas to fund God's mission. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27, it says, It says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. First apostles and prophets and teachers, and then those who do miracles, and those who have a gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership. I love that leadership is so far down the list. Sometimes I feel like I'm a leader, and then it's like, yeah, God doesn't really value that all that much. Those who speak in unknown languages... We're all called in different ways to serve Christ in his kingdom. And I want you to know, your calling is not your identity. Jesus Christ defines you. And um, listen, you're defining the win for your life, like that's where you want to get to. Don't lose your mind about your calling. Use it as a vehicle to bring you to where you want to get to. So we define the win. We visualize our life. um, And then we find our calling. And lastly, third point here, be consistent. Be consistent. This is not a big, sexy point, but it's perhaps the most important. Every great high achiever that I read about is pretty boring. I think a lot of times um, we would imagine that, that somebody who's really successful and rich and whatever um, have an avalanche of luxury and variety, you know. They have a nautical theme, to Afghan sitting on the front of their boat like Leo, you know, and we just think, oh, man, that would be amazing to be able to do that, and their life is so good, and that's probably what being rich is like. It's really not like that at all. Read about it. The most successful people in life, they have an incredible focus on a win that they've defined. They live that calling out to accomplish that win consistently every single day. I mean, Elon Musk, one of the most successful men of our age, he has a very clearly defined win. He wants to see an acceleration of our transition to sustainable transport. He wants to start a human colony on Mars. True story. So he owns SpaceX and Tesla, and he works at least 80 hours every single week consistently, faithfully. It's not like he's sitting there like, you know, relaxing, whatever. What makes him successful is his consistency. So, I try to be consistent in my life. I'm not saying I'm like those guys, but I've tried to be super consistent in my life. Every day I wake up at the exact same time, I eat the exact same breakfast. I'll tell you exactly what I eat. I eat a handful of spinach, put in a blender with one banana, five. Sometimes, if I'm feeling crazy, I'll switch it up and do six ice cubes and soy milk. It's my breakfast every single morning. Each day I have the exact same routine. Because I know the greatest things in life come from years of faithfulness. Hebrews 13, 8 and 9a says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace. In other words, there's no get successful quick. There's no like, hey, I'm going to make all my relationships perfect in life quick. It is consistently and I think so often we assume that success comes from some big splashy, sexy change. I just got to blow it all up in my life, and I'm just going to change everything. I just get ready; it's a whole new me tomorrow. And it's just going to happen, and I'm going to snap my fingers. And I'm gonna... no, no, no. The people you respect most in life show up every day, early in the morning. They do all the things that most people procrastinate, faithfully and consistently every day. My mom and dad are two of the greatest people that I've ever known. They're extremely successful on on, on every level, particularly financially, their whole life, they've had the exact same routines. My dad, in particular, his level of routineness is, is crazy. I remember ever since I was a kid, every morning he wakes up, he reads his Bible, and then he eats cereal, like the same exact cereal, my whole life. Same bowl, same spoon, same place, same clinking on the bowl, exact same everything. And I used to blow his mind. This is what I do. I'd come down, okay, after he ate his breakfast, and I would switch the Cheerios and the cornflakes, switch, like that. One, you know, switch places on the shelf in the cereal cabinet. And he would come down the next morning and be like, what happened? Like, where is, I don't even know, I can't even deal with this, right? I mean, that's how routine he was, just throw him off, right? Um, his greatest success hasn't come from any flashy contract or get rich quick or whatever. It's just been driving secondhand cars, driving second or wearing secondhand clothes, doing the same thing for 40 years. And they've been able to give a really eye-opening sum of money to Christ in his kingdom. A lot of times I think my parents' kingdom impact will be far greater than mine and Christians simply because of the radical, eye-opening generosity and consistency of their lives. And it didn't come from being a pastor. It came from having the same win that I have, seeing people far from God filled with life in Christ, using a different vehicle to get there. We don't all have to be pastors, um, and being consistent in that. And I think when it comes to God, we all know that he's real. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't take a, like, we, we're not superstitious, I know people who believe in the religion of atheism. I can't ignore the overwhelming data that tells us that the universe is real, that God is real. The problem isn't believing in God cognitively. Everybody believes in God cognitively at the end of the day when we're falling asleep at night. The problem is being consistent, following Him faithfully. We know that relationships matter, we know that community matters, we know that consistent church engagement is among the single greatest commitments we can keep for our life as far as life satisfaction goes. It's one of the greatest things we can do to set our children up for success. I think the hard part is even though we know that, it's hard being consistent. And for me, what has changed everything is this process. And let me explain to you. I uh, left out one part of my morning routine, okay? So I eat my breakfast, you know, I scream at my kids to get them in the car or whatever. Get in the car, you know, whatever, okay? And then um, I drop them off at school. And then from school to church, it's a very short, like, less than five, maybe five minutes total commute from, from church to school. I, I don't listen to anything in the car. I listen to silence. And I spend that time visualizing the win of my life. I just sit down and I really think, like, this is where I want to be. And then um, I think, am I living a life that is going to get there? Is this going to be an incompleted project or is it going to be complete? Do I need to make some adjustments and tweaks today? I visualize the win every single day. And when I do that, it becomes a lot easier to be consistent. I failed this message. Three times this week, I had to rewrite it. I wrote 12,000 words total this week so I get this message done. It was inane, it was boring, I was frustrated, my fingers hurt, I was like, come on, this is ridiculous. But I kept doing it because, because I visualized the win that I wanted. So it's easy to do the mundane things in my life and to live out that calling and be consistent because I visualized that win in my life. It's literally a mental exercise that I go through. And you know, it also helps visualizing the win because um, I can see the cost of my bad choices right? If I want to fall into an addiction, if I want to get wasted, if I want to waste my life right now, I see the things that it's going to cost me later. If I get mad at Kristen and I want to make a decision, I can see this is going to wreck my life, so I'm not going to do it right because this is going to rob me of what I want on my 80th birthday. It's literally this exercise I go through. What is my 80th birthday going to feel like based on the choices that I'm making now? And does that match up? Does that match up with the way I want it to actually feel? Define your win. Find your calling. Be consistent. Those are all good, and I feel like so far, thus far, this talk has been like a, a Jesus-flavored TED Talk. But this next part is so much more important than the other points. And I said I had a three-point talk, and, and I wasn't lying there. It, it was three points. But then this last part, it's not the point. It's like the conclusion. And the conclusion is more important than the other three points. It's the most important thing. Um, even if you're far from God, this point is really important. It has the power to transform your life. I want you to get it. If you zoned out, this is what I want you to zone in on. This next thing that I'm about to reveal on the screen, really, really big deal. Okay? So here it is. Please remember that you're all going to die. That's healthy. That's good. Like, remembering this has the power. This is a little secret right here that will transform your life for the better. I was fortunate enough to have a major encounter with my mortality when I was 27 years of age. I remember having these these head-splitting headaches. Oh, my head hurts so bad. I said, what in the world is happening? Why does my head hurt? I went to the doctor. I said, look, my head hurts. He was very concerned as I described the severity of the pain. He said, you better go get a CAT scan. So I went. And I got a CAT scan. I remember I showed up and I was trying to you know, hold it together because my head hurt so bad. I was trying to act all cool. And I like fist bump the, the CAT scan tech. He was young too. I'm like, hey, you going to let me see my brain? He's like, yeah, I'll let you see your brain. Absolutely. I said, hey, cool. And I said, also, um, my wife is pregnant and she is due today. It was actually the day that she was due to have the baby. It was August 7th right? I said, she's due today to have this baby. And um, listen, my wife is kind of high-speed, low-drag when it comes to having those babies. Last time we had one, it was in the bathroom. So here's the truth. Um, I'm going to need you to tell me, because I can't bring my little phone into the, the CAT scan circle, the ring, you know what I mean? Um, so I'm going to give it to you. And he goes, okay, that's cool. Uh, what is your wife's name in the caller ID? And I said, um, I have a nickname for her. It's Crunchwrap Supreme. So that's what you're going to see pop up on there. If Crunchwrap Supreme calls, I love Taco Bell. Praise God for Taco Bell opening in Mot I cannot wait. Hebron, you come down, visit us. We'll come up you for rise and roll. It's all good. Listen, 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 listen. If Crunchwrap Supreme calls, you got to tell me. Okay? You got to tell me because that means she's about to fire out that child. (laughs) So anyway, I go in the tube, right? Not the tube. Sorry. The the CAT scan is not a tube. MRI is a tube. CAT scan is just a little ring. I go in my ring and I see the magnets, you know, going back and forth, scanning my brain, whatever. And um, I asked him, I said, hey, can I see the results when I get out? And his face is pale. No. You can't. I said, what do you mean? You told me I could. He goes, ah, you just you might have questions. And he looks at me. I swear to you, he looks at me and goes, what did you say the baby was due? I said, bro, Crunchwrap Supreme. It's due today. Like, you know, how could you forget? I just told you today. He's like, okay. Well, make sure your phone's on loud on the way home because you might get a call. You know, if anything's abnormal, you're probably going to get a call. I said, uh-oh. On the way home, sure enough, I get a call. And they say, hey, there's a, there's a cyst in your brain. We're, we're concerned about its size. It seems benign, but it's very large. And according to the neurologist, after the fact, it is the largest cyst he's ever seen in anyone's brain. It's, it's 14 centimeters by 13 centimeters by 10 centimeters, larger than a grapefruit, larger than a softball. And uh, he said, well... Um Every MRI operator I've had measuring it since then has said it's, it's the biggest one you've ever see, they've ever seen. Like, I've never seen one that big. My neurologist is like, I don't even know how you're functioning. You know what I mean? Um, we can't do anything about it. It would be traumatic to remove it like your brain couldn't handle it. Um, Worst-case worst scenario, you know, you're, you're going to get a bad headache, and then you'll go psychotic, and you don't even know what's happening. I said, that's great. That's awesome. That's really comforting. And don't worry, guys. I'm fine, um, pretty much, unless I'm not. but um, So, anyway, I get home. And uh, I tell my wife, who was great with child, not that great. I mean, she looked she looked great, is what I meant. She was she had a child in her, and she looked great. You know, you're watching in Hebrew, and I love you, um, coming home. But anyway, I, I tell her, I say, hey, girl. Didn't go that great at the doctor, but um, good news is worst case scenario, you get to pick out a date for my funeral. She did not like that joke. I thought it was funny. I was like, ah, she was like, "Uh ooh, you know, Um, but I was like, yeah, no, for serious. And that's what men do, right? When things are bad, we just make jokes. Um, Bad choice. Okay, bad choice. But um, as is often the case, I actually finally stopped joking about it, and I get serious about it that evening. I remember it was an August evening. It was beautiful. It was perfect, and I'm flipping burgers, flipping burgers on the grill. It was a perfect August evening, and I just started thinking, what if this is my last... Beautiful summer on earth, my last August evening. And suddenly, suddenly, you'd be amazed, remembering that you're going to die, like it brings so much clarity, it brings so much clarity to that picture of the end of your life, you know, to that thing, to that win that you had. And it's so funny because, you know, I had written it years ago, but I kind of started to, to drift from it, forget about it, not focus on it in the way that I had. But in that moment, I gained this laser vision And I began changing things dramatically in my life. I began living days with a greater level of intensity and focus. Some people have described me as intense. I really wasn't that intense until that moment. And in that moment, I said, I am not going to waste my life anymore. I'm going to live for what matters most. I'm visualizing this win. And that resulted in a lot of different things. Ultimately, I ended up here because of that. Listen, that moment was a dress rehearsal for me. It wasn't the real thing. Someday, I will have that moment for real. Someday, I will find out that, you know, this is it. And all you will, all you will. And when we get there, I just, I hope that all of us can say, I live for what matters most. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I think it's really good to remember this. Because, I mean, think about it. This is all you have, this life, this 80 years. If this is what you believe, that's what you think. I mean, if you think this is it, like, it, that, that would mean that a year partying, uh, a, a year messing around with people on Tinder without like actually developing the, the incredible satisfaction that comes from, from a, a wonderful relationship with somebody. Uh, a year traveling and taking pictures that make your life look good on the outside while the inside is rotting. Like All of those things are tragic, tragic beyond measure. You can never get them back. I would tell you to live for what matters most. If you are a Christian, this is also really good to remember. Because we're not just living for an 80 year life, we're, we're in this infinitesimally short moment, whether it's 20 years or 90 years, we're living in this infinitesimally short moment before eternity. And somehow what we do echoes in eternity. So every second of time that we have, unlike an, an atheist, every second of time that we have, is not just like very important, it's infinitely, eternally important, it's immeasurably more important. You are a Christian, like every second of time that you have, it's not like, oh, I have heaven to look forward to, and who cares? It's like, no, 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 no. God being real, his promises being real in this life, like every second is a gift from God who made you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You better live a life that matters. I remember when I realized that the teachings of Jesus were real. For years, uh, I thought that being a Christian meant you had to, like, shut down your mind, plug your ears, and close your eyes in science class, and just ignore everything they said, and it was just like blind faith, and just like, I'm going to ignore all the facts and believe. That's not it at all. Following Jesus is informed, rooted in evidence, faith. Jesus never asked for blind faith. Never. He would do a sign, wonder, or miracle to show people that he was God, and then he would say, we believe. The same is true today. I don't think God asks for blind faith. He gives us information, the universe, everything in it. Like, we learn about how it is a miracle, and then we believe. For years, um... The religion of atheism had this doctrine. They believed that the, 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 the that God didn't exist, right? That was a doctrine. In order to support that doctrine, they created this this whole um, fantasy, this whole theology that says the universe was eternal. There's no evidence for it, okay? There's some evidence indicating otherwise, but they believed in what was called the solid state theory, which which means that the universe has always been here. So the reason why they did that was so that you didn't have to believe that God existed, right? God doesn't exist. The universe has always been here. It's solid state theory. Um, there, there is no creator. Then Edwin Hubble discovered cosmic background radiation. In 1998, NASA launched the IMAP observatory. And what we know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is the universe was created in an instant, very much in the way it was described in Scripture. What we know, because of theoretical physics, is this universe is impossibly finely tuned. It was certainly intelligently and finely tuned. There is no way that it happened by chance. All the data, all the indication that we have, there was an intelligent, creator God who made this universe. Even... Prominent atheists like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, admit that the universe sure seems like it was designed and created. They say that is what the evidence points to, but they choose to ignore it. They invent new theologies like string theory and other things to explain it away, but that is a god of the gaps theory. All the data points to one thing, but we're going to believe something else because that's what we want to believe. I'm not okay with that. And You might be here today and you might say, well, I've just been religiously unengaged. I've just been sort of agnostic because who can know? I want you to know that you can know. I want you to know that the facts are in. I'm a realist. I follow the data. God is real. Something does not come from nothing. Intelligent design does not come from no intelligence. So what does all this mean? God is real. Remember that you are going to die, but that's just part of it. Remember that you are going to die and stand before God. That's the whole story. That's the last point I want you to get. You are going to die and stand before God. And this means that what matters most changes dramatically in our life because we're not living to have a good 80th birthday party. We're living for eternity. It's more than a career. It's more than health. It's more than good relationships. It's more than good family. It's more than a solid financial foundation. What matters most is eternity. And this should be a hope to some of you if you look at your life and you say I've wasted a lot of it. Good news. You're not living for this life. You're living for eternity. The Bible teaches us, and I believe, that God created the earth with spoken word, any and all sin separates us from God in the next life. God came to the world. He created as Jesus, and he took all the sin that separates us from God upon himself at the cross. When you ask him to forgive you and lead you, you can be with God in heaven when you die. All that in a nutshell basically is Jesus is the only way to heaven. Relationship with Jesus where you don't just believe in him, but you follow him as your leader and forgiver. That is the only way to heaven when you die. And I remember in an environment just like this one 20 years ago is where I encountered the truth of God. I remember sitting there having my mind blown. It wasn't blind faith. It was informed, transformational, rooted in evidence faith. And I wasn't able to go all in with Jesus the first time that I heard it. It took me like a month or two of research and, and understanding before I said, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. I just want to encourage you. If you are like me, If you're sitting in your seat and you're just like me and you're beginning to realize, wow, it's real, I want to challenge you to engage with church again, to engage with God again. I want to challenge you to go on an all-out search for what matters most in your life. There are others of you here today, you've heard enough. You recognize, wow, this this is true, and I want it. Or I've known this is true for a long time. I'm ready to go all in with it. If that's you, I just want to challenge you to text I'm in, I am, I am, to 474747. Those of you watching online, text I'm in to 474747 here at Hebron, at the jail. Figured out, get in contact with us. We will. If you text that number, we'll contact you this week and we'll help you put wheels on this. What it means for you to be a follower of Jesus. What it means for you to begin living for what matters most. We are all going to die. And someday we will, we will, we will stand before Jesus. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you for the rest of this series. I want to unpack a lot of these concepts on a deeper level. I think it's going to bless you and help you, and I just want to invite you to come back. I also want to challenge you to consider filling out these cards, like young people in the room, older people in the room. Spend some time. Spend some time really getting granular about what do you want your life to? What does a win look like, and are you living a life? Have you counted the cost? Is your life going to be a completed project? This life is so precious. It's a gift from God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God is a calling for your life. I want you to live it out. As we close, I want to ask you to stand at all of our locations, all of our churches, and uh, I'd like to pray with you and for you if you would. True Lord Jesus, I thank you for creating us, putting us in a wonderful world, giving us an opportunity to know you through Jesus today I ask for every person hearing my voice that you would give us the discipline and the courage to live for what matters most. I pray for people who are seeking you, Lord. I ask that you would, they would find you, that you would show yourself to them in these next few weeks. I pray for people texting, I'm in, God. I, I ask that you, your spirit would fall afresh on them, that you would transform their lives and their eternal destinies, that by the power of your spirit, you'd give them a hope and a future. And I pray for every person here because of this message, Lord, I ask that we would live for what matters most. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, all God's people said, amen and amen. The band is going to lead us in a song together. Let's sing.